This is Billy Corbin, director of Cocaine Cowboys and the 30 for 30s, The You and Broke. And there's nothing we love in Miami more than driving cruise control with no hands, steering with our knee, and not using turn signals, which is kind of what it's like listening to the Cruise Control podcast with my man, Randy Cruz. We're now on the Cruise Control Podcast here on SoundCloud.com. I'm joined by Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal. He's on Twitter at Herring, W-S-J-H-E-R-R-I-N-G-W-S-J. And he covers the New York Knicks throughout the season. And this guy has been very busy throughout the NBA free agency, one of many. Chris, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm very good. How are you? Doing good. Um, the last few days, I've been doing nothing but refreshing Wojnarowski, Mark Stein, Chris Broussard, Ken Berger, Mark Spears, um, you, Ian Begley, and many more on Twitter for updates, man. Uh, have you been doing the same thing, just refreshing their pages for updates? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been trying to work, you know, my cell phone as much as I can, too, just to, to text the, the agents that I know that are involved with some of these guys and Mm-hmm. You know, there's a few people within the Knicks organization that I know just to get a sense of what's happening. But, um, you know, I think we're all kind of doing that. And I think even people within the, the organizations do that just to get a sense of, you know, for instance, the Knicks were kind of interested and, you know, serious about trying to get involved in the whole Damari Carroll thing. And then Damari Carroll surprises everybody and, and comes out Wednesday morning and says he's signing with the Raptors. So, I think even signings kind of catch these teams by surprise every once in a while. Um, but, yeah, we're all, you know, kind of to some extent hooked to our phones, whether we're texting with people or calling people to figure out what's happening or or just trying to figure out what someone else has to report. Mm. All right, so let me jump to question uh, 13 <laughs> that I had about Damari Carroll. Uh, a good player, in my opinion, but for four years – Sixty million, fifteen per year. Chris, is he that kind of player that gets that kind of money? Uh, man, I I don't know if if I could have gone that high. Um, but you know, the thing is, it, it's 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 all different than what we are used to in the past. This mm-hmm. is a new it's a new cap that we're going into. And so everyone is operating that way. Right. And I can't remember if it's like 30% different than it was, uh, you know, or that we're someone, someone actually had like a conversion scale that they tweeted out yesterday. That I thought was really interesting. And that's kind of the way we have to look at this. You know, the idea of Amon Schumper getting $40 million sounds nuts, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's like, it's almost like an inflation that we're looking at. So, um, all these deals look higher than what they should, but at the same time, when we look up four years from now, when a lot of these guys are just finishing their deals, it won't be quite as bad as what it looks. So um, you could make the argument that all these guys are worth it. You know, it, it's tough also to kind of criticize what someone's getting because, you know, if a team feels like they're worth that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a limited amount of time that these guys get in the NBA. They have to have really high injury risk. So it, it, it's tough to really criticize um anything about what people are making but in terms of the Knicks and the way they're handling everything I, I think they've done a really good job so far to not just throw all their money at one particular guy uh, I know they're conflicting reports on Monroe and, and whether he got a max offer from the Knicks or whether he didn't 
I know I heard that he didn't, and I know there are a lot of other reporters that, that heard the same thing. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think his, his offer, even if he did get a max offer, would have broken the bank mm-hmm. for the Knicks. And it seems like they're taking a more cautious approach to not spend everything they have on one person, which is different than what we've seen in the past. And it feels like they've been relatively patient. They, you know, that first day was slow for them, and there was no movement. And, you know, I think I think slow, slow and steady can kind of win the race eventually, at least get the Knicks back in the race, and then make them competitive over time. A big name... That was out there briefly. Dwayne Wade, he stays in Miami for one year, $20 million. Not really a surprise, even though seeing him in New York would have been cool for me. They also keep Drogic at five years, $90 million. Why, in your opinion, why only one year for, for D. Wade? Or does D. Wade want to go through free agency again next summer? There's, there's a couple things. Uh, number one, uh, Miami, you know, they essentially owe him – money from what they kind of vowed to him and promised him right. before, you know, in terms of the money that he would make back. Remember, he, Chris Bosh, and LeBron all opted out. And the understanding, or at least the thought process when that happened at first last year, was that, you know, they would all opt out and take less. And then all of a sudden, once they opted out, LeBron said, no, I actually did that planning to ask for more. Um, you know, the idea was that they're all going to take less so that they could go get a fourth star to put with that team. And so they all willingly did that. But then, you know, Wade and Bosch did it with the understanding that they would get more money in their next contract after this one, you know, that they would would get a longer deal. So maybe it would be five years, you know, and they would kind of recoup whatever money that they lost with that one year over the next four or five years. And then that ended up not happening because LeBron backed out. And so... Everything changed. So this was this is kind of a way of getting Wade that money back. He's obviously not worth twenty million a year anymore. He's not even playing eighty-two games a year. He's playing closer to sixty or sixty-five. And so this is a way to kind of, with one shot, just get a lot of that money back uh, for kind of money that he might not ever make again in terms of you know consecutive years, twenty million a year. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a way to do that, but it's also a way for Miami to avoid committing long-term money if they want to be in the conversation for a guy like um, Kevin Durant next summer or something along those lines, it allows them enough flexibility to not have to be weighted down by Wade, whether he can play or not, you know, after this, this coming year and how much he has left to give. So it, it kind of prolongs the decision-making in terms of having to figure out whether or not he's going to be a part of the long-term plan. Miami fans would riot if, if you let go of him. He's been there his whole career. He's won three titles. Mm. Um you know, he's, he's the face of that franchise. Even when LeBron is there, to most people, he's the face of that franchise and what they um, equate with Miami Heat. So it kind of delays the process of having to figure out whether or not he, uh, whether or not they keep him long term. There was one guy that, that did not take too much time on July 1st, maybe like 1202. <laughs> um, and Davis from the Pelicans, he gets five years. $145 million right from the gate. I think it's a great move by the Pelicans keeping him. He He's one of, if not the, the best big man in the NBA. Does the money shock you, or do you feel like he's worth that now or going to be worth that later on? I'm sorry, who did you, who are you referring to when you said that? And Davis. Oh, um, I mean, I, I think you said Anthony Davis is who you're referring to? Yeah. I mean, so he's, in, he's probably the, the key case of who we're talking about. And how, I mean, like, you almost had to do a double take when you saw how much money they were talking about for a deal five years, 
145 million, but that that money will not look terrible after next year. You know, after the next few years, but mm-hmm. he's worth it. I mean, he's, he's, I think arguably, I saw some crazy statistic that like when you look at his age and how many people have done what he did in the playoffs this year at his age. Right. It's basically been like four other people, and I, I think Wilt was on the list, and you know maybe Michael Jordan was on the list. Like it's such a small amount of people that have done that, and I think he had one of the best ten best PERs of all time, um, player efficiency ratings. You know this past season. Like I mean, you could make an argument. I don't know if it would be the strongest argument. But you could make an argument that he's, you know, at times looked like he was the best player in the world, just in terms of his skill set, in terms of the impact that he's able to have, you know, he's not on a great team. I don't think they're terrible, but you know, the team isn't tailored around him yet. You know, they, when they drafted him, they didn't know for for sure that he was going to develop into a franchise player. And so, over the next few years, they're going to have the ability to do that and kind of tailor the team around him better. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's going to be worth it, and then some. When you think about the fact that most players that make that kind of money or that have made that kind of money in the past have been on the back end of their career once they've kind of proven it over 10, 12, 13 years. Carmelo, Kobe, uh, you know, obviously LeBron now, but in his case, he's young and is going to make that kind of money. And, you know, it's it, again, it's a result of the cap, but you could make the argument that he wholly deserves it um, based on what he's doing. And, you know, contracts are supposed to be a projection of what someone's going to do for you. You wouldn't pay someone if they're going to be horrible. Um, if you knew they were going to be horrible, you're paying them based on the fact that you think they're going to do very well. And in his case, I don't know that anyone's more deserving of you know making that sort of projection that he's going to be a special uh, franchise-altering player than Anthony Davis. I think he's got maybe the best upside and the brightest upside of any player in the NBA. And he's already really, really good. So I think it's a good, good gamble. Although I do think New Orleans could have waited. I saw a tweet today from, from Bobby Marks, who uh, used to work in the front office for the Nets, Mm-hmm. It's something to the effect of, um, you know, New Orleans could have waited until next year and they could have saved at least $12 million on the cap, if not, uh, was it $21 million or something like that? Basically, they, you know, they obviously wanted to trot out the fact that he was staying, you know, with the franchise and the organization. Um, but they could have done this uh, for less money had they waited a little bit and um, kind of given themselves a little bit more protection. But, there's a pride factor in wanting to show your fans that you're you're locking up your best player, but uh, I think he's clearly a good investment. I, I think he's, you know, arguably one of the three best players in the game, and I think he could climb up that list by next year. Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, they all stay with their respective teams. Also, Kevin Love. Which one of those were you surprised that they stayed with the team they were on, and which one did you think had was more likely to leave? Um, I, I don't, I, I guess I didn't expect any of them to leave. Um, okay. Could, could one of them had left? Maybe, but it would have been, they would have been taking a really big risk. Jimmy Butler in particular was kind of the one that you saw who was less than thrilled about something, you know, that there was the questions about whether Butler really wanted to stay and whether he wanted to go to the Lakers or, um, you know, Players are given an option, obviously, where if, if they want to, they can play on a one-year deal, kind of like what Greg Monroe did this past year, where he played on a one-year deal because he clearly didn't want to be in Detroit anymore. And so instead of taking 
a big, uh, you know, restricted free agency offer to stay for one more year. Um, you, you basically can say, I don't want to do that. And so you, you basically wait until the next year to figure it all out so that you can be a free agent sooner. Uh, and in this case, uh, Jimmy Butler would have been agreeing to like a four and a half million dollar contract for next year as opposed to the one he just signed, which would have been like for 90. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Bulls, no matter what, the Bulls could have kept him. Um, you know, either even if someone else had bid for him, someone else could have tried to match the offer. And then if the Bulls decided, you know, we're going to we're gonna go out there and we're going to match that, um, Jimmy Butler still would have been in a Bulls uniform. So it's kind of, you know, out of luck if he doesn't want to be a Bull. But they locked him up. I mean, he, he would have been sacrificing the idea of like $85 million or so. I'm sure he could have made some of that money back, but let's say he has some kind of freak injury. Let's say he tears an Achilles the way that um, that Wes Matthews does or something like that. You don't want to chance something like that, especially with the money going up. Um, you can always give yourself an out if you really want to, a player option somewhere along the line, or negotiate that. Um, but there's too much money to be made to, to take a one-year risk like that for $4 million, $5 million. So, um so I, I didn't think any of them were going to leave. I mean, they're all in, in pretty good situation with their team. Kawhi, obviously, is in a good situation. Draymond coming off a title, and then you have Jimmy Butler, who still plays for a pretty good team, even even if they're not. Um, you know, it's unclear where they rank in the East, but they're still a pretty good team. We're chatting with Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal, who covers the, the New York Knicks throughout the season and is uh, doing a great job covering the NBA free agency. What's... um. Just a little side note, what's your phone battery right now? Because I know you've been on your phone like pretty much ever since yesterday, man. <laughs> I just looked at it, 21%. Uh, that's with the phone charging. That's with the phone charging. I was at 2% when you called. Wow. Um, and so I realized it and then plugged it in right before that. That's always the scary thing because then when your phone actually dies, uh, if you have an iPhone, you've got like that. 10 to 12, maybe 15 minute reboot time. Uh-huh. Just where it has to charge up to, I think, 4 or 5% before it'll turn back on. Um, but every once in a while, I'll take a screenshot on my phone. And um, people, it's so funny because I'll, I'll be taking a screenshot on my phone to make a joke or to, you know, to show people something that I'm looking at. Or mm. sometimes I'll screenshot my text messages, to, you know, to show a funny conversation I'm having with my sister or my housemate or something. And people, like, automatically focus on your phone battery it's really funny like people always right. notice the abstract things in the photos that you tweet as opposed to like the focal point of what you're tweeting like they always notice someone like if you're tweeting a picture from the train the subway right like they always notice like a random dude in the corner who looks like a creep as opposed to like you know whatever it is you're taking the photo of and so it's the same thing with the you know if you're tweeting a text message that you have or something people always notice your phone battery and people always say man charge your phone my phone can be on like 13 percent now. Like charge your phone. You're like it's, it's, you can tell it's like a real pet peeve for fans and for people in general. I guess people take better care of their phone than I do. You know what, man? If it if it's not the phone battery, it's the phone carrier. Oh, you got T-Mobile? Or you got Sprint? Or you got AT and T? Yeah. That's what they always tell me yeah. in the in the screenshots. Um. Anyway. Um. Something that, that kind of caught me off guard was, you know, probably you too, Tyson Chandler. He agrees to a deal with Phoenix as of now. They're all, Phoenix is, is in the running for LaMarcus Aldridge. As of, as of now, Aldridge has not made his, his choice yet. 
Did Phoenix shock you by getting Tyson Chandler plus making the moves uh, to create more more cap money because they traded Marcus Morris, Danny Granger, Reggie Bullock to, to Detroit earlier? Did Phoenix shock you at all? Um, you know, not shocked because I, I feel like they're in a position where the Tyson move surprised me. I'll put it that way. Right. Um, you know, I, I thought maybe he would hold out a little longer to go to a, a situation that was more um, in position to win right away. I mean, Phoenix is obviously not a bad team, but I figured maybe he'd wait to kind of see uh, what could be done. You know, if, if, if DeAndre Jordan, for instance, goes to Dallas, there was talk that maybe the Clippers would do a sign-and-trade with, with Dallas and, um, you know, to try to not lose everything, but, you know, still have someone that they could kind of plug into DeAndre's spot. And obviously Tyson has the, the relationship with Chris Paul that goes back from their time in New Orleans. But um, so Phoenix, you know, it didn't shock me that Tyson signed there. I was a little surprised. But in general, when you look at the moves they're trying to make to create space, um, they weren't moving any, like, franchise cornerstones. You know, Bledsoe is still there. Um, and they obviously locked up Brandon Knight. So it's not, you know, what I was surprised by, a lot of us were tweeting this, uh, what I was surprised by was that they were able to kind of clear that much space and move so many people without really having to move anyone that really changes their uh, their game plan, that, that really alters what they want to do in terms of getting up and down the floor, spacing the floor, shooting threes. Um, they still look pretty intact. I think it's pretty, they're a pretty rare team in the sense that they have a lot of players of value and a lot of depth. Uh, most teams couldn't trade four or five players from – their core and not really disrupt the idea of uh, what they are, especially when you look at, you know, the Knicks over the last few years, you trade one guy, you trade Tyson, all of a sudden, you know, kind of the bottom fell out of that team. Right. Um, and, and so, I mean, that, that was what was rare about it. They surprised me by how aggressive they were, but at the same time, you, you couldn't look at the roster and say that they completely blew everything up to take a shot at this guy. Like, I don't really think there's a, a huge risk involved in, in what they're doing, which is nice. Monte Ellis, he's the guy that's leaving Dallas as well. Before I get to him, with Chandler and and Ellis leaving the Mavericks from from one to ten, how does that affect the Mavericks and increase the pressure on Dallas to get Jordan from the Clippers since Jordan has not made a choice yet? Um, you know, I I think they they seemed ready to move on. I mean, if there are questions about Monte in the locker room and. Um, probably the funniest thing about this whole free agency period was the idea that uh, Sacramento was looking and trying to sign Monte and, and Rondo together after what just happened in Dallas, where both of those guys seemed to either not fit at times or just to be disruptive um, to the offense. And it was just a really weird, you know, Sacramento's got to be one of the weirdest teams in the league, if not. Yeah, I think a lot of people would use the word dumbest to probably describe them, mm. where you know, they're, you're seeing reports of them potentially firing a coach three, four months after they hire him, and you know, obviously the stuff with DeMarcus Cousins and yeah. you know the, the questionable trade they made a night or two ago with Philly. Just, they just seem dysfunctional at the highest level. But to your question about Dallas, um, you know, Dallas is, is being aggressive. They've done this for the last few years where they make it clear that they're willing to let go of a foundational piece um, to chase the bigger prize. You know, they, they did this a couple of years ago with Tyson when the stakes were even higher. You know, they had a chance to repeat. Tyson was arguably their 
I don't want to say most irreplaceable. I mean, maybe he was their most irreplaceable player in a sense because you had, you know, Dirk was there and they were competitive with Dirk, but Tyson put them over the top because he gave them a defensive presence and then they let him go essentially so that they would be able to trade Dwight Howard a year or two later and that backfired. They obviously didn't get Dwight. They lost Tyson and didn't get much for him at all. I don't know if they got anything for him. They might have just waved him outright, but, uh, and, and the Knicks obviously picked him up, but, uh, Monte is not to that level. I don't think Monte is as good as Tyson was at that time or as integral to what they're doing at that time. But um, they're obviously going for it. They feel like they have a shot to get him. Um, you know, it seems like for for a guy like uh, – uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on names. A, a guy like uh, <laughs> Jordan, in his case, that he, he obviously could go to Dallas and then you've heard – about uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, too, and some of those guys. You know, it's just it's weird because the Texas teams have taken so many gambles. Houston has done this where they let guys go. They prepare to trade guys like Lynn and Ashik. Uh, they were creating space for Bosch last year down in Houston. And it, it, they just take gambles. I mean, everything's bigger in Texas. The, the gambles seem to be bigger as well. And, um, you know, sometimes it pays off, sometimes it does not. Uh, Houston obviously lost uh, Chandler Parsons as well in doing this sort of thing last year. So, it's a it's a big gamble, um, but Monte Ellis, if they didn't feel like he was going to be a fit there anymore, you could understand why it becomes a little bit more palatable to do something like that. So how does Monte Ellis going to Indiana help them and affect the East in, in any way? <laughs> I, I like that fit a lot. You know, a lot of people were asking me about, um, you know, why wouldn't the Knicks make a move there and try to go for him? I, I like him way more in Indiana than I do here. Uh, Indiana's got the defense to make up for him and kind of, you know, he's absent-minded at times defensively. His effort wanes at times defensively. And Indiana struggles so much with offense. Uh, and obviously the Knicks struggled this past year. But generally speaking, the Knicks have been fine offensively. I mean, um, not this past year, but the year before, I think they were 11th in offense. And I remember they were number three in the league once Bargnani went down. That season, they were number three in offense the year before. We kind of have a sense of how the Knicks' offense is supposed to look around Carmelo, the sorts of players you put around him to make that offense run. Um, defensively, it's been more rare to see them work, and so you need someone. First of all, you can't afford to keep plugging guys that are negatives in the lineup defensively. So he doesn't fit there in the, with the Knicks for that reason. And then obviously, from an offensive standpoint, you really have to be careful about playing mellow alongside someone else who's as ball dominant and takes as many shots, as many bad, questionable shots as, as Monte Ellis does. So I didn't feel like he would have fit here, but I think for Indiana, a team that struggles really badly to put the ball in the basket and a team that struggles with pace, which is something that they've said they want to address, I think he fits really, really well. Um, I think they can hide him enough on defense. I think that he can kind of energize their offense. Uh, despite the fact that he's not always the most efficient guy, um, he wouldn't have to always handle the ball, which is good. They've got George Hill, um, you know, and George Hill is a good defender. You've got Paul George, obviously, there. And they're, they're, they're trying to move that offense along a little bit in terms of the pace and get the ball up and down the floor a little bit more. And so Monte is good for that because he's good in transition as well. I got three more before I get to some questions that people hit me up on Twitter with. So the first question is real right to the point, Chris. What's up with the Lakers? Oh, what's up with the Lakers? I mean, it feels like they're kind of a carbon copy of the Knicks right now just yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, they're obviously 
involved in some of these conversations probably a little bit more seriously than the Knicks are with DeAndre Jordan. And, you know, they obviously had a second sit down with LaMarcus Aldridge, mm. try to air out some of the stuff that happened from a few nights ago. But, um, you know, they're, they're, they're in a tough spot. They have cap space to work with. They can do some things. But, you know, the, the elephant in the room is Kobe Bryant. He's, and I feel like it's kind of even more exaggerated, that issue, in terms of, um, you know, with Melo and whether the timeline works with what the Knicks are doing in terms of the rebuild. The Lakers have that same question, too. They've got more young talent than the Knicks do in terms of having uh, D'Angelo Russell now, and they have Julius Randle, and they have Jordan Clarkson, all these guys that are really, really talented that you want to bring along and develop. But you also have Kobe there, and so you want to appease him. You want to go out and get players. But, you know, you've also got people sitting there that you could potentially trade for. But should you kind of risk all that right away to, you know, just to go appease Kobe and to try to be competitive with Kobe for one last season? Like, can you throw everything away and all your assets away for one season? And uh, it seems like they've cooled down on that a little bit. But they're obviously still going for it, too. And so it's, it's a weird spot because the Knicks and the Lakers for years and years and years have been really reliant on trade and on free agency, and all of a sudden you see when they don't strike it rich in free agency, it becomes difficult because they've all kind of done a poor job in collecting assets, and, you know, you need those assets to trade, so the trades might be on the table, but, you know, they've always needed to be able to sign free agents, and I think what you're seeing now is the cap and the way that everybody has the ability to spend is that these places aren't necessarily any more attractive to the free agents than... Um, than the smaller markets are. And I think that that's kind of the lesson that we're going to see this year and definitely probably next year as well when everybody has money to spend. Greg Monroe, a guy that the uh, the Knicks were, were looking at, he goes to Milwaukee. Now they add him to an, an already big roster with, with Giannis, MCW, Jabari Parker, who, who comes back from injury, Middleton, they still got Plumlee, Ennis, they also added uh, Vasquez. How good are the Milwaukee Bucks looking right now? I, I really like them. I, I've, nobody will believe me, but if you go back and if you were to do a search of, of my Twitter handle and I think the, the word Bucks or, you know, the word Milwaukee, I, I tweeted about them two years ago. I remember I actually tweeted it during a game or maybe right after a game that I was covering in Milwaukee saying, I know it'll sound crazy, but this is one of my favorite teams in the league to watch. And people were like, are you okay? Like, are you off your meds? Um, I, I just liked them then. You know, they, they seemed like they had a direction that they were going in. They had some long defenders. They had Giannis. They had uh, John Henson. At the time, they had Brandon Knight. Um, and now they're getting even longer. They've you know, got Chris Middleton. Now they have Marcus, uh, Michael Carter-Williams. They've just got all these defenders that, you know, I remember watching that Bulls playoff series against them. And the Bulls, there were like two or three games where the Bulls couldn't make any passes. Everything was a turnover because the Bucks were in every passing lane. And they really just don't have many weak defenders in that bunch at all. Um, you really think about O.J. Mayo is probably one of the weakest defenders they have. Um, and everybody else is, is pretty solid and pretty stout. And um, so the idea of adding an offensive player into that mix and, and getting Greg Monroe, I think is a really nice move for them. I think they need to add more shooting because I just think there are times where they just got really, really fail yeah. on offense because they don't really have many guys that can create their own shot. That was the one thing about their move this past season I didn't like. I, I would have liked to have seen them hold on to Brandon Knight. They probably wanted to save cap space because Knight was a free agent. 
but um, they traded uh, Michael Carter Williams for him to, to bring him in there. Um, but they, they don't have a, enough guys, I don't think, that can grade their own shot. You know, they have guys that can develop into that. But, um, you know, I really, really like the team. I just think they need some shooting to kind of put them over the top. I, I like the direction that they're going in. They're young. They're going to develop. Jason Kidd is growing with them as a coach, and I think he's doing an outstanding job. Um, but I really, really like them. I mean, I, I understand most people don't like to watch teams win games 80 to 78, but um, if there was a team that's kind of built for that in today's NBA, it seems like the Bucks would be them. The team you cover, the New York Knicks, they get Aaron Aflalo. I, 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 me as a fan, I hope they're not done. They lose out on Moreau. They're trying to get Robin Lopez, um, Tobias Harris, Patrick Beverly. They drafted Porzingis. They traded Tim Hardaway Jr. for Jeremy and Grant. Um, in your opinion, your estimation, what would be ideal um, for the fans? All, all across the city that we can all kick back and say, you know what, this was a sort of decent free agency for the Knicks and we'll get right back at it next summer. I I, I actually like a lot of what they've done. Now, what I'll say, I'll start all this by saying that I don't know that all of it makes the most sense for what happened last summer. Um, I think that, you know, there have been kind of like mixed signals where it's hard to tell which direction they're trying to go in. Uh, the Mellow deal, I understand it doesn't look as terrible um, or or even that bad when you consider the fact that the cap is going up. The Mellow's deal for a star player really isn't a terrible deal. Um, but it's still a, a big chunk of the cap, obviously. You know, it's going to be end up being about a quarter of the cap when all said and done by the time he finishes. And you know, having that big of a commitment to anybody on the cap is, is meaningful when you're trying to build and you're trying to build around young players. Uh, but I kind of feel like there's like a mixed message there as to like what direction they're going in because on the one hand you want to contend because Melo doesn't have that much time left and that's the way we're viewing this. But at the same time you have to start, I've said this a lot and I've said it in tweets and stories, they have to start behaving like a normal franchise at some point. And so I, you know, I, I feel very strongly about that. Um, it's part of the reason that where a lot of the writers and reporters and analysts are kind of knocking the Knicks for the lack of moves that they've made so far this summer. That's fine. If, if you can't find or you can't get the guy that you want to commit to you, that the money that you're, you're offering, then, then let it go. I don't think you should have to overpay for every single player. Mm-hmm. I think people, agents, players have gotten used to the fact that the Knicks are going to pay whatever it takes. And we're not in that NBA anymore. It's, it's a new day in the NBA. And I think that the Knicks, to some extent, by offering a follow $8 million a year for two years with a player option, they seem to understand that, especially when reports are out there saying that he wants 12. To get him for, I mean, I'm not a great math, was that two-thirds of, of what he wanted? That's good. And and even, you know, I'm, I actually am not the biggest of follow fan. I feel like I have some questions about whether he's actually on kind of the back end of his career at this point he's coming off a really bad season one of the worst seasons he's ever had um but still even if, if that's the case to get him for eight million a year with the way the cap is going up i don't think that's a bad move um your other questions i i like uh jaron grant a lot i actually um wrote about him not about him but mentioned him in a, a q a that i did on reddit a couple weeks ago saying that i thought he was the best sleeper in this draft you know i figured he wouldn't go and the top half of the first round, and I said, somebody's going to get a really good player. I'd watched him play quite a bit at Notre Dame. Um, 
and he's a great pick-and-roll point guard. He gets his teammates open, he can score himself, he can get to where he wants on the floor. He's big enough to where he can defend, he can fill the stat sheet because he can rebound a little bit as well. Um, he can change the tempo of the game, he can play at different speeds. I, I like all that. I didn't realize that the Knicks were going to make a trade to try to uh, obtain him uh, in the draft, and I was pleasantly surprised when they did that. I thought it was a good uh, decision to move on from Tim Hardaway. I, I'd been kind of pushing that agenda for for a while, that I thought that, you know, for how strongly I feel about keeping young players, um, that he wasn't a great fit for what they were doing and wasn't a good enough all-around player for the direction that they needed to start going in with two-way players. So I really like that move. Uh, I'm I'm completely in the dark about Porzingis. I, I like the fact that they're taking a risk. Um, it obviously is a risk-reward sort of thing. But the truth is none of us know how he's going to turn out as a player. You know, he could, he could be great. People talk about him having some similarities with Dirk's skill set. Maybe he could be that good or close to it someday. And if he does, then that is a home run of a pick. Um, maybe he's a complete zero. And, you know, maybe he's injury prone. Uh, maybe he never develops physically the way that people are hoping or expecting. There are so many questions we, we honestly don't know. And, and so I know people have opinions all over the gamut about that, that run the gamut on that. But I, there's truthfully, there's no way to know. To me, the way I analyze that pick is that I, I don't think it made I don't think it made complete sense with what we're talking about with Mello because they're in a tough spot already in terms of trying to convince people to play here. But that said, if, if you do go that route, you just have to do everything else perfectly. Um, and some teams can kind of overcome a, a draft pick that's going to take a while to develop if they go get the right players. And all you can ask for at this point is that they contend and find players to help them contend while they're getting him ready and prepared to play and to contribute in a meaningful way. We're chatting with Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal. He's on Twitter at HerringWSJ. Before I wrap it up, um, I took the Twitter before I came on, and then I said, hey, I got Chris coming on the show. Hit me up with some questions. And you happen to be a very popular guy because I had like 30 responses and it only took about maybe seven um, questions. So here we go. Matter of fact, first of all, what's your battery like now? 40%, 50%? I'm at 31% right now. <laughs> I was at 21. I'm at 31. So my phone also takes a while to, uh-huh. to develop uh, some battery life. So maybe that's my problem. Maybe I need to look at it. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. So the first question was, let's see, from S. Apparently, I did not know about this, but I kept getting responses. He he He's asking me, is the taking the Knicks fan base out for smoothies offer still out there? And quite a few people asked me, and, and I did not know what, the, what that was about. That's why I asked you. <laughs> um, I So I actually meant that when I said that. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I, I can't remember what exactly had happened a night ago, but um, I think it was just the, the fact that people were seeing so many players come off the board yesterday. Obviously, a lot of fans really liked Amari Carroll. And, mm-hmm. uh wanted him pretty badly and um and so you know when that happened and then people were starting to see that the Monroe thing was dragging out a little bit more than reports had suggested they would you think back to April when there was a report saying that it was essentially a done deal that he was going to come to New York um I think fans were kind of disappointed and you know they it's the first time the Knicks have had max cap space since the decision in 2010 
Uh, a lot of people tweeted me and said it's the second time since 96 that we've ever had this kind of cap space. So fans were excited, and they're kind of anticipating a lot. And then, you know, the first day was not boring, but there was nothing to show for it. I think people weren't bored by it, but they were kind of surprised that the Knicks walked away with nothing to show for it. And even now, you know, with the follow being the only signing, people are just kind of like, what else are we going to get? And so, um, and, you know, people are already questioning, is this a failure, you know, uh, fire fill? And people were asking me, like, what is he doing? You know, he's making $60 million, what is he doing? And so I think I said, like, you guys got to relax. Like, or saying, should Dolan step in and start doing stuff himself because Phil's not doing anything? I was oh, like, man. look, this is the first day exactly. Phil has even had the ability to spend money since he took over. I mean, he came in in a situation where they are capped out. You have to be more patient than that. And so I think after I tweeted that, I said, look, you know, at some point, like, I, I want to take a bunch of fans out to just go get smoothies or something because – like, too many people are way on edge about this. And, like, mm. it's really not set. See, like, it's going to be okay, number one. But number two, I actually meant what I was saying. Like, people, you know, thought I was joking. And some of them were like, well, I actually would go for that. I was like, no, no, no. I actually am serious. Like, I have, you know, a couple of years ago, I think maybe after my first year on the beat, I went to go um, out to a bar with, with some fans, maybe 10 or 15 fans, and just sat down and talked. And it was it was fun. And, uh I've always kind of said, like, I always encourage people when they're at games or if they're at a game or something to let me know, and I'll come say hello, um, people that I interact with on Twitter. I actually really enjoy it. You know, I, I try to make it a point to say thank you to people on Twitter when they compliment my stories or, you know, when they, um, you know, reach out to say they're a fan of my work or stuff. I, I generally try to say thank you or to let them know that I appreciate that. I try to thank the fans at the beginning and at the end of every year for reading and stuff like that. I try to do Q&As. On Reddit, you know, I, I used to try to literally take every question that I would get and would stay up and, you know, kind of lose sleep over the fact that I didn't want people to think that I wasn't paying attention. So mm. I, I've always said that interacting with fans on Twitter is one of the most fun parts of my job. Uh, it might not be in my job description, but uh-huh. people aren't reading or paying attention to what I have to say. What difference does it make? Like what kind of job I'm doing or how I'm writing if no one's noticing it? So. I, I truly appreciate that, and I feel like, you know, anytime you can interact with them in person as opposed to just from behind a computer screen, it's a good it's a good thing. So, you know, I actually meant what I was saying, and I, at some point um, I'm going to try to find a time and maybe tweet it out at some point, try to figure out a time and a place that I could meet however many fans are willing to come out and just have some ice cream on me or something like that. Well, one, whenever that happens, let me know. I, I, I won't mind uh, <laughs> popping up. And two, are you concerned that you might spend max money that night? <laughs> I might. I mean, sometimes it's funny because, you know, you invite someone to take part in something and then I'm, I'm always, I'm like a warrior. So I'm, I'm always concerned that when I do something like a couple weeks ago, I did a, a Reddit AMA, uh, which stands for Ask Me Anything. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like a, a big Q&A that you do in an online forum. And uh, I remember dealing with our, uh, one of, essentially one of our publicists at, at the journal and one of our uh, people, that, uh, social media managers that kind of helps us get the word out about stuff like that. I, I asked him like a day in advance, two days in advance. I was like, look, are, are you sure that we're going to have like enough of an audience here so that I'm not just talking to myself or that I'm like asking my relatives to like send me questions so that, you know, it doesn't look like no one cares and no one's there. Right. He's like, I don't think it'll be a problem, but I'll send out blasts before you go in there. And, you know, next thing I know, 
an hour in, like I'm getting more questions than I can realistically answer. And mm. I think um, the Reddit AMAs are kind of funny and weird because you can tell people you're leaving and kind of log off. And then it still stays open and, like, continues to let people ask questions. And so I stopped taking questions at, like, maybe 4 that afternoon. I started at, like, 1 or noon or something like that. I stopped at, like, 3.30 or 4, and then I looked up at, like, 7 or 8 at night. And, like, for some reason, like, the chat was still going and people were still asking questions. And, you know, ended up being, like, probably more than 100 questions or so that I couldn't even get to. Um, and, you know, so the fans, like, I always kind of underestimate how many fans are interested in taking part and how many people are just really passionate about talking about basketball, and I love that. Like, the, the Nick fan base is, is really special. And, uh, you know, I've always said I'm not from here. I'm not a Nick fan myself. Uh, I think it's better that I'm not because it, you know, allows me to kind of have just more of a, a neutral, objective stance mm-hmm. on everything. But, uh, but I do really appreciate the passion that the fans have. As long as it's, you know, in a constructive, uh, polite way. You know, I I feel like as long as they're showing me respect and I can show them respect and it's easy that way. Well, Chris, you know, you're you're a very popular guy on Twitter, so you should not be shocked that you're doing Q&As for five hours, bro. Yeah, I I got it. Like, it's funny because when I did that that day, my uh, social media manager for the journal um, texted me. He was like, you know, like, you know, you've gone like an hour, hour and a half. That's completely fine, you know, but I'm going to go get lunch. I just wanted to give you a heads up, like, you're kind of on your own for a while. I was like, that's fine. Like, I, I, I never want to – I'm always reluctant to cut something off. Right. I, it's just that feeling sometimes. You know, you go somewhere and um, you go to a restaurant or you go, you know, anywhere when there's, like, a shift change or when someone's not there to serve you and you're, like, the last person that, um, that kind of doesn't you, – you're standing in line for an hour and then all of a sudden – whoever's working leaves. I guess a better example is like if you're like a TJ Max or shopping or something and then the, the cashier leaves right as soon as you get to the front of the line and says, oh, you have to get in that line. Like mm-hmm. you never want, like I, that's always annoying. And so I'm always cognizant of that. You don't want to, you know, have people, invite people to something and then by the time they show up or they actually get to where they can ask you a question, you ignore it or you're not there. So I've, I'm always thinking about stuff like that. And so I, right. I felt bad when I had to leave at some point. You know, you also don't want to just be there the whole day. And, um, you know, I feel like you can kind of – the other thing I don't want to do is just sit there and then kind of, like, outstay all of the, the fans that had questions, and then you're kind of there by yourself just to answer one question. So I understand it both ways, but I was trying to answer as many as I could. All right. The second question I had was from Golson2FSU. Is David Lee actually coming to New York a possibility? Uh, can you repeat that? I couldn't hear the one part of it. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Is, is David Lee coming to New York something that could be possible? Okay. Um, I think it is possible, and I think it's something that the Knicks have kind of thought about and discussed. They, they've known it's on the table, so it's not necessarily a new thing. But um, I don't think it's something that they're going to turn to right away. I mean, they have the Robin Lopez stuff that they're obviously kind of waiting on and try, hoping for. And even if that doesn't happen, you know, you figure that Biombo from uh, Charlotte might be an option for them. And, um, you know, a lot of other people, I think Costa Kufis is someone that we haven't heard them connected to. But, you know, there are other options out there first, you know, for them to get a center if that's what they want to do or another big. I, I don't necessarily think they need a power forward. 
Um, I think they need a center at this point. You know, I think you'd make an exception for LaMarcus Aldridge because of the kind of star power that he has. But um, I don't think David Lee is the answer. I think, if anything, the Robin Lopez pursuit shows that they probably would be content playing Melo at the four. Um, I, I think people are missing that about that. And that's part of why I'm pushing the Lopez angle so much is that I think that you, your ability to play him at the four is really meaningful because then you can just go get another wing instead of having to go get a, a power forward. But um, I, I think that people are forgetting with, with the David Lee thing that that essentially would be your free agent signing. You know, you have a follow already, and he was $8 million. And you go get David Lee at $15 million, that's $23 million that you spent for the summer because he would essentially be your free agent signing for a year. And they only started with 20, anywhere between 26 and 28. So all of a sudden you're, you're talking about having maybe $5 million left to spend on everybody else. And I... I don't know that you want to put yourself in that position two days into free agency. I don't think they need to be operating with that level of um, um, decisiveness with, with regards to David Lee. I don't think he's that good, and I don't think they should be that desperate just yet. You know, that, that should be something that they do if they can't get anybody else, and they want something to be able to roll out to the fans that is worthy of having people come out to games and worthy of showing that they're, they're going to be at least competitive. But I don't think you should – take that plan right away. I get that maybe you could get a draft pick out of it or something like that, but I don't think they should be so eager to do that right away. I think they can wait a little bit. You mentioned Kufis, so the third question was from KODUAT. Can we get Kufis, Tobias Harris, and or Patrick Beverly? Uh, so uh, Kufis, again, I, I think is someone that um, you're not going to need if you get Robin Lopez. It seems like that's their clear objective right now, having missed out on Greg Monroe, mm-hmm. uh, who can play center. Uh, and I, I think Koufis would give you the ability to play ball with the four as well. So I do think it's something that they should consider. I haven't heard his name connected really with anybody yet, which has kind of surprised me a little bit. But, uh, you know, the agent keeps things relatively quiet. Um, so so there's that element. I think you have to wait and see what happens with Lopez. Uh, Tobias Harris is someone where I think uh, he would be a secondary priority if, if they're going to talk to him at all because he's restricted. And so, first of all, Orlando's already said they are going to match whatever he's offered, which that's fine. It doesn't mean that you can't test them on that. But if you're going to try to sign someone as a restricted free agent, you don't do it at the beginning of free agency because taking that route means that your cap is locked up for however much you're offering that person. So let's say the Knicks want to offer him $13 million. They would be out of $13 million for at least three days while Orlando was kind of figuring out whether or not they wanted to match. And so that, you know, that's valuable time because, you know, if the Knicks are down $13 million from what they already have to spend, and let's say they've already put down eight on Apollo, you've essentially got $21 million of cap locked up for the next three days, even though you only have one player that you've actually agreed to terms with. So it's really not that smart to do that. Like, if you did that, and then let's say DeAndre Jordan actually said, yes, I want to play for the Knicks, you would you would be out of luck. You, you can't do that if you plan to talk to other big-name free agents because, you know, if they decide they want to sign, you've got your cap locked up somewhere else. Let's say Tobias Harris actually says, yep, I want to sign with the Knicks, and then that happens as DeAndre Jordan is trying to figure out what he wants to do. And, you know, Orlando decides they're not going to match. You, you're locked in a, to Tobias Harris. So, you know, I, I think most fans are operating under the assumption that the Knicks aren't going to get any of these major guys. I agree with that, too. I'm sure they won't. But if you want to sit down at the table with them, you can't make a decision before they 
tell you what they plan to do. It would just be kind of short-sighted, and just in case the, the unthinkable happens, they'd be out of luck. So there's that portion of it, and then I think you asked about Beverly. From what I've heard, I think that the Beverly stuff has been a little bit overblown. Uh, I don't think that the Knicks are going to go after him very hard. I think they did make some calls to inquire, but I've heard from multiple people that the Knicks really aren't looking all that hard for a starting caliber point guard, um, that they're focusing mostly on wings and, and big men and that they've kind of made that known to uh, agents around the league that that's what they're looking for most. And so I don't, I don't think they're going to spend significant money to upgrade it. A point guard with Beverly. I could, I, I could be wrong, but I, from what I've heard, I, I kind of get that indication. All right, we got one more for you, Chris. I know, I know you got to run. Um, from at the profit, um, he says, any word on how the DeAndre Jordan meeting went with with New York, the possibility of him coming to New York, and what did Lamarcus Aldridge canceling the meeting with the Knicks really mean? Okay. Um, so uh, with the DeAndre Jordan thing, I'm reluctant to really, you know, you, you text people from the organization and, and people that would know, and you, you kind of get the same response every time. It went well. It seemed to really <laughs> yeah. be listening. I mean, like, I don't know how much you can make of that. And I mean, if you look back to two nights ago, the Lakers sit down and talk with Aldridge and you're getting tweets and text messages, you know, reporters are tweeting what, what they're hearing about the, the meeting, and they're saying, he looks really engaged, and he looked really engaged and really focused. And I mean, you can make a lot of that if you want to, but, you know, so all the vibes that were coming out within the few hours after that meeting were positive with the Lakers and Aldridge. And then a day later, you're seeing that the Lakers meeting went so badly that Aldridge actually dropped them from consideration, reportedly. And all of a sudden, you start seeing tweets from other reporters saying, like, you know, they focused too much on stuff that had nothing to do with basketball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I'm, and I, I wish fans saw that. I, I think some understand that. And it's funny because every once in a while you kind of see fans jokingly make fun of the reporter saying like, you know, either that a tweet is kind of vague in terms of what it's saying, um, in terms of like the source material that we, that we stick to and we use. But also just that, you know, even when it's actually legitimate what we're tweeting in terms of how a meeting went or something, it doesn't really indicate anything one way or the other. And so, like I said, I'm a little reluctant to really try to parse what I've been told about the DeAndre Jordan stuff just because I don't think it's meaningful and I don't think that it necessarily was like a game changer. Um, I could be wrong, you know, but I don't, I don't know if the Knicks would know right away if DeAndre Jordan actually – felt so strongly about the presentation that he wanted to sit down with him again or something like that. Like, if that was the case, we wouldn't know right away because he's meeting with other teams still. But, um, so, you know, I think that's how I would feel about that. With regards to the Aldridge meeting that got canceled, um, I think it tells you a lot. I think it tells you that, um, first of all, that either the Knicks didn't really do their homework with regards to the Aldridge thing and with uh, wanting them to play at the five and knowing that Aldridge has kind of gone on record or that it's quietly suggested that he sees himself very clearly as a power forward. And so I guess that's the one side of it. And, you know, another thing is that, I, that they're chasing stars. I've said all along that I don't think Aldridge would be a great fit for this team. And I think that, um, you know, if he's saying that, I think that might indicate that maybe he wouldn't be, and he realizes it too, that um, he plays power forward. And, and quite frankly, the best player on the roster should be playing there too. 
already. So um, that's the first part. But what I will say that the interesting part, maybe the encouraging part of it, is that it seems like maybe the Knicks realized, A, they weren't going to have enough money to get Aldridge and to sign a, a legitimate starting center for this team. And so they were saying, you need to play center for us. But secondly, um, and it goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, it, it suggests that they understand that Carmelo needs to be a full-time power forward. Um, if they're going to play Aldridge at the five, and they're going to play him in lines with Melo, that Aldridge needs to play center because mm-hmm. Carmelo is our starting power forward. And I think that that actually is a positive sign because you've, you've kind of heard Phil dance around that question. Derek Fisher, I don't even know if you could say he's danced around it. If anything, Derek has suggested that he's, he sees Melo as more of a three, and then he's saying, like, you know, with our personnel and all the depth we have at the four, he would always talk about Marnani and Amari and Jason Smith. And I'm like, okay, but none of those guys are better power forwards than Carmelo. They don't play mm. the position better than he does. And I, that was what I kind of challenged them on all season. But it seems like maybe they finally reached that realization to where that was what they said during, you know, going into their meeting and what they're going to pitch to him. Um, so I understand that, you know, it might have been an embarrassing moment for them. You know, you want to be invited to those sorts of meetings. You want to um, obviously feel like you're at the big boys table to where you're competing with the Spurs of the world and, and with – with teams like that, uh, with the Lakers and everybody else. But truth be told, um, you know, they're, they're coming off a 17-win season. He's coming from a winning team. Um, I said all along that they should be happy if they get these games to begin with. Um, and so, you know, the fact that one was canceled, it's not shocking to me. Um, but I, I think it's better that they just not waste their time there. And, you know, maybe it allows them to put even more resources into the idea of Lopez and these other players they're looking at. Chris Herring, man, it's always great to have you on the show, man. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, you coming on the show with 2% battery shows uh, great passion, great uh, <laughs> determination. Oh, poor planning as well. <laughs> poor planning. I think that's what you meant to say. It, sh- it shows loyalty, but, um, you know, you do a great job, and plenty of others do a great job during this NBA free agency, letting everybody know what's going on to the minute, whether it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon or 4 o'clock at night. Um you do a great job, and once again, I thank you. I appreciate it. Hopefully, Aldridge makes up his mind, join the same thing, so we can keep this thing moving. And hopefully, the Knicks can make another move or two outside of, of, of Flalo. If they shock people, I'll be shocked. But um, let the people know where they can, again, find you on Twitter or anywhere else and, and read up on, on your work. No, nothing, nothing special. Just did uh, my last name, Herring, WSJ on Twitter, and... Um, you know, I feel like it's a chore to tell people where to find my work. Obviously, the journal's website, but I, mean, I try to tweet out anything that I'm particularly proud of and I'm working on. Um, I guess they'll see it there if they follow me on Twitter. All right, Chris Herring, Wall Street Journal, looking to spend max money on Nick fans. Uh, ice cream and smoothies, I, I bet you, sometime in <laughs> August. Be ready. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me as always. All right. <laughs>